Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. And again, this fits into what we were doing, uh, what we are doing over the next couple months um, in terms of uh, God's mission, I think, for us with outreach. This morning, we're going to begin a series in the book of Joshua, and that's fitting because the book of Joshua records Israel finally ending their wandering through the wilderness and getting to the promised land, and that has obviously some parallels to what we're experiencing as a church um, as we've now stopped six years of wandering uh, and moved into our permanent home for ministry, and how many are happy for that, that we get to be in a permanent home? You know, as I've studied this book, the Lord has really impressed upon my heart that the events and the messages that are in this book have really deep relevance for us, not just in terms of going into the promised land, but in terms of the the calling and the opportunities that the Lord is putting before us as a church. And I'm convinced uh, in my heart that just as Israel moved into the promised land to occupy it and possess it and make it their own, that the Lord is calling us right now in this time to occupy this area and to have an increased focus, as we just heard, on reaching people for Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm calling this new series Taking New Ground, and by taking new ground, I am referring to souls. You know, Jesus talked in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, and he said there are four types of reaction to the gospel. As we speak it, as we share it, as we live it out in our lives, there are going to be four responses. One is rejection. Another is passive indifference. Another one is shallow acceptance. And then there is the belief that bears fruit. Now, as we talk about the Lord, as we go into the community uh, in a a fresh way and and talk about Christ, we're going to see all four reactions. And it will be, uh, there will be times where we're going to get discouraged when people turn away from the truth. We know it can change their lives, but but, but they're just going to reject it or they're going to be very passive about it. And and we're going to see, as we've seen over the last, especially 30 or 40 years, the, the culture become increasingly evil, increasingly obstinate, increasingly uh, resistant and hostile to the gospel. But we cannot let that dissuade us. We cannot let that hold us back from what we're doing because I believe this area where the Lord has put us, uh, both here in kind of northeast Racine and also in, in this little corner of Wisconsin, the southeast corner of Wisconsin, I believe And it was interesting, Jamie mentioned that in his prayer, that this is fertile soil. This is fertile soil. It's been stony, it's been thorny, it's been resistant. But I believe that God is opening it up one more time to be fertile. And I think it's ground that we have to work spiritually. So we're going to go through the book of Joshua throughout the fall, Lord willing, and we're just going to kind of do an overview. I'm not going to do 24 chapters of comprehensive verse-by-verse study because I just want to touch on some really key themes that relate to the emphasis of our ministry, and we're going to focus on what the Lord has before us and how he's calling us to take possession. And as we do that, we're going to continue to grow closer and closer as a body, 
And we're going to renovate this building to be more effective for the work of ministry. And we're going to provide new opportunities for outreach and for community. And our leadership has talked about this for months, and we've prayed about it, and we've kind of come to the place of referring to it as a reset of our ministry. We're in our seventh year. We celebrate seven years in November, and and now that we've kind of moved in all these different locations and had transitions and people leave and people come like any new church goes through, now that we're settling into year seven in our new building— God is is refreshing us. He's resetting us to do a new work of ministry. And the book of Joshua that you have in your hands has a similar theme. Israel entering into a new era uh, after having wandered through the wilderness for 40 years that, that really was unnecessary. They shouldn't have wandered for 40 years, right? That trip, scholars say, actually should have taken 11 days. And they had this miraculous deliverance by the plagues out of Egypt. They had the miraculous deliverance through the Red Sea as they walked through on dry ground. And you would think that after those two events alone, not to mention the presence of the Lord leading them day after day, not to mention godly leadership through Moses, you would have thought that the people would have been so humbled and so grateful to be free and so anxious to get to the land that God had promised to Abraham that they would have been full of faith and obedience. But we know, don't we, that the trip was a complete disaster. It was a complete disaster because after all that God did for them, an entire generation had died in the wilderness as a result of their unfaithfulness. And they have this lasting legacy of complaining and rebellion and fear and doubt. And now they get to the promised land in Joshua chapter 1. And only two of the two million are left. Joshua and Caleb. Now that stripping down of their pride and their self-sufficiency had actually been a work of the Lord because it had created a new attitude of humility and of faith. And now as they stand on the edge of the promised land, they, they have mixed emotions. But like Adam just said, there's a, there's a fresh sense of what God's about to do in their midst. This is a young group, all but two of them are under 40 years old. This is a group that needs uh, really confidence and courage and, and a fresh commission of what God is calling them to do. And that's what God does here in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read all 18 verses, but we're going to kind of overview it uh, in our study this morning. I'll give you a couple points, all right? Joshua 1.1, now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man, verse 5, will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. 
This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. To the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God give you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle will remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you will cross before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and will help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you will return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels, this is people speaking here, anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now the Lord makes it clear right at the outset that this is a new era. And he does it in in kind of a very blunt way. He says, Moses is dead. Now that's kind of a, it's kind of a harsh sentence for them to hear after being with Moses for so long. They didn't know Moses before he came to Egypt and prompted the deliverance out of there. But for 40 years, he's been the leader. 40 years, he's been the one listening to the word of the Lord. And now Moses is dead. And part of the reason God's so blunt here is they hadn't seen Moses die. At the end of uh, the book of Deuteronomy, he had gone up onto Mount Nebo and God had showed him the whole promised land and then he had died up there. So they had not actually seen him and buried him. But the other reason that God says this is because he needs to emphasize to them that Joshua is now the leader. And he does this both to empower Joshua and also to reassure the people that the plan is still in place. Now you say, all right, well, he's reinforcing Joshua as the leader. So it seems a little curious and and, and almost a little contradictory that in the first seven verses, look back at the text for a minute, in the first seven verses of the book of Joshua, God mentions Moses six times. You would think that he'd say, Moses is done, Joshua's the leader, Joshua's a great man, Joshua's godly, Joshua was there uh, in Egypt when we left, Joshua has, now he doesn't say that. He keeps talking about Moses again and again and again. Now, why does he do this? I think there are a couple reasons. First reason, I think, is that he wants to remind them that they couldn't fall back on Moses anymore. Because they, even though their parents had rebelled against Moses, even at a couple points they wanted to, to overthrow Moses, get a new leader, go back to Egypt. He was the only one they knew. And now that there's a new leader after 40 years, there might be a little bit of resistance to new leadership. But God says, listen, the focus is not on Moses and the focus is not on Joshua. I want your focus to be on me. 
I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. So while he mentions Moses six times in the first seven verses, he refers to himself ten times. God keeps saying, this is about me. This is about me leading you. This is about me providing for you. This is about me pushing you into the land by my hand, by my promise, by my leading, by my power. And you're going to need to trust me. Second reason, I think, is that he wanted to remind them that Moses wasn't there. Why? Why didn't Moses get to go in the promised land? Because at the end, Moses had faltered in his faith. The the constant 40 years of nagging and complaining had finally worn down Moses. See, you remember in Numbers chapter 20 that they get to the rock and God says, speak to the rock and water will come forth. And what does Moses do? He takes his staff and hits the rock, not once, but how many times? Twice, right? Like, that's not just, oh, I tapped it. That's, I'm going to beat this rock. Whap, whap. God says, you didn't trust me. You didn't follow my word. You acted out of anger and out of frustration. And God wanted to point out to the people, look, that the attitude of rebellion, the attitude of frustration with my leading, the, the resistance in trusting me, it needs to stop. It needs to stop. And he makes an example of Moses and doesn't, it seems almost harsh, that he doesn't allow Moses to go into the promised land, but he says, this is something you need to understand. For 40 years, your forefathers have been rebellious. It needs to stop. Third, I believe he also wants to reinforce the promise to Moses and to them about the land. Now remember, in Genesis chapter 12, God had made a covenant with Abraham, and the covenant had three parts. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to have so many descendants, it'll be like the sand on the seashore. You're going to be a great nation, and I'm going to bless you and be your God. And third, I'm going to give you a specific land to occupy. Now we have a slide to show you this this morning because you know the current uh, state of Israel and what it looks like. I hope we have that slide up. There we go. You can see the current state of Israel. It's in yellow, okay? Oh, I can walk across the platform. This is so nice. All right, so you see where it says Israel, little yellow, and then the middle of the yellow is green. That's the West Bank. That's the disputed territory, so to speak, of Israel. Uh, even though Israel won the land 1967 in the Six-Day War, uh, the, the world has slowly demanded that it be pulled back and that Israel continue to give more and more and more land. You need to follow this. If you're not following this in the news, you need to follow this. But I want you to look at the area that's kind of 3D and highlighted because that's the land that was promised to Abraham. Now, you see that's far greater than what Israel occupies now. It involves Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Syria. There is some dispute about whether the western line of that uh, goes over to Cyprus and Turkey. Some rabbis think that it does. Some rabbis think that it don't, but it doesn't. But at least it goes to the eastern edge of the Mediterranean. So you see Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, and Jordan are all part of what God promised to Abraham. Now, 
the, the Arab nations can say, well, Israel doesn't deserve that. And the Palestinians can say, well, we get part of it back because we need a country of our own that we can call our own. And the United Nations can say, Israel, you've got to keep giving back and giving back and giving back, even though the whole country itself is the size of New Jersey. But this is God's plan. And no matter what the Palestinians say, no matter what the Arabs say, no matter what the United Nations say, God is going to give Israel that territory. So God is saying, thank you, Pete, God is saying that this is where you are going. And as you enter this land, you are going to occupy this territory. And if there's any doubt about that, he says in Amos 9.15, I will plant Israel in their own land, never to be uprooted from the land I've given them. Okay? So, first reason, he wants to remind them they can't fall back on Moses. Second reason, Moses wasn't there because he'd faltered in his faith. Third, there's a land. And then fourth, I think there's one more reason. He wants to reassure them, and you see this later in about verse 8 and 9, that he will be with them. That no matter where they go, he will be with them. And they knew that to be true because they had seen it, right? They had seen the tangible presence of God come down and occupy the tabernacle. They had witnessed Moses go in and meet with God in the tent of meeting and then come out and his face would be shining because he had been in the presence of the Lord. So they understood that God had been with them. And there's no question that God had met Moses, God had blessed Moses, and God had led them to this place. So now they're there. And I believe this is where God calls them to a reset. The setting has changed. The people have changed. The leadership have changed. But here's one thing we know. God never changes. God never changes. He is faithful and he leads and he provides and he has a plan. And he says, now you are having a new start and you need to go in and occupy. See, even though their past had not been very pleasant, it had become very comfortable to them. I want you to really hear this because this is something that we need to understand, and we talked about this Thursday night, to, to awaken our hearts and to ask the Holy Spirit to put a fresh anointing and a fresh outpouring on our lives and on our ministry. Because the wilderness for 40 years had become very familiar. And the cloud that led them by day and by night had become very familiar. And the view of, of brown and stone and rock and no trees and no water had become very familiar. And Moses had become very familiar. And the manna that they received every day, which doesn't stop till chapter 5, had become very familiar. And they were going through routine day after day after day after day. Almost numb at this point to what God was doing. Now, they come to a fertile area, and down by the Jordan River, it's all green and lush, and there are trees growing fruit, and there's water flowing, and the whole topography changes, and now God says, you're on the verge of the Jordan River, and you can look across and see the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now I want you to go in, and I want you to conquer that and occupy it. Now we're at the end of our futility, and I'm going to give you an amazing promise. Look back at verse 4, that you will take all the 
humble land of the Hittites. Now you go, who cares? I don't know what a Hittite is. Well, let me tell you, the Hittites were a powerful nation of giants. And they were ruthless, and they were strong, and their army could defeat anybody. And God doesn't say, you'll have some degree of success against the Hittites. You'll be able to move against them a little bit. He says, you are going to take and occupy all the land of the Hittites. In other words, I'm with you. And you don't need to be fearful. You just need to trust in my help. But there's a fear factor, right? What's this going to be like? What, what, what's going to happen when we go in? We're going into the unknown. And, and sometimes you hear us talking about outreach or you talking about an emphasis on prayer or, or going out and evangelizing or, or we're going to, uh, you know, make our service full of worship and things like that. And maybe we kind of go, well, I don't know, it makes me a little nervous because I've become comfortable with what Harbor Rock does. But God doesn't want us to be stagnant, right? He wants us to always keep pushing forward. And a lot of times when we're fearful of the unknown, listen now, it causes us to kind of stand still and to wait and assess our options. I'm very analytical by nature, so a lot of times I don't make decisions because I'm still analyzing and still trying to figure out what the best way is to go forward. And what happens in that, the more you kind of sit and analyze and don't trust God to move forward, it, you, you get paralyzed by uncertainty. And you get paralyzed by fear. And rather than acting on your faith, you, you just start to say, well, I don't know, I'll just I'll hold on. Now this fear can be a great inhibitor to our faith and our obedience instead of seeing that there are times where God says, you need to go forward. And you need to go forward with joyful, eager, just just desire for the opportunity that I am going to do in your life. And we'll talk about that in a couple minutes, but let me plant a question in your head now that I want you to be thinking about. All right, everybody ready? Here's the question. In what ways am I fearfully standing still instead of crossing over in confident faith that God will provide? I want you to really think about your life. I want you to think about your circumstances. I want to think about your leadership and your family men. I want you to think about your prayer life. I want you to think about uh, studying the Word. I want you to think about evangelism. All the different ways that God works in our life. In what ways are you standing still? Maybe it's uh, your, your lifestyle. Maybe it's friends you're hanging out with. Maybe it's a sin that's still besetting you because you're allowing it. In what ways are you saying... I'm kind of stuck there. Instead of crossing over in faith that God will work and God will provide. Because you and I don't have a literal land, right? We don't have a big map that we can look at and go, well, that's the area God wants to push us into. And yet, he's placed us here. Right here, Four Mile Road. And around us, there are tens of thousands of houses. And he says, I have given you possession and I want you to go forward. See, now that we've got a church, what would it be easy to do? Settle in. Oh, finally. We finally got here. And we finally have a place. And we can just kind of relax and breathe and enjoy life as a congregation. As I said a few months ago, now is when the work begins. God finally planted us. 
Now we have to reach out and occupy. So taking new ground for us is not just settling into this land. It's claiming it for Christ. Every house, every person is our focus. To reach them for Christ, to share the gospel, and to disciple them in the word. Now, how are we going to do that? What are we going to need? Take some notes here. I want to give you three things we're going to need. All right? Number one, we're going to need to be sanctified. Number two, we're going to need God's security. And number three, we're going to need to be strong and courageous. We're going to have to be sanctified. We're going to need God's security. And we're going to need to be strong and courageous. Now, we'll study the concept of consecration and sanctification in a couple weeks in chapter 3. But for now, let's make it abundantly clear that the Lord will not empower us and the Lord will not use us. Listen now. The Lord will not empower us and will not use us if we are not living in complete obedience. The Lord will not empower us and the Lord will not use us if we are not living in complete obedience. In fact, if you look back at verses 7 and 8, he repeats himself. Twice he says, be careful. Be careful that you live according to my word. Be careful that you live according to my commands. You need to meditate on it and speak it and do exactly what it says. He says there can be no deviation, nothing to the right and nothing to the left. Now this is one of the subtle temptations that we face as believers the temptation that we have, I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care if you've been saved, uh, you know, three weeks like those girls or you've been saved 42 years like me. doesn't matter. There is always going to be a temptation to slowly drift. To think that just a little movement off center, just a little, just a little step, just, just a little sidebar off of the narrow path, that, that that's going to be okay. That, 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 that just a little bit of deviation from the Word of God, just a little flexibility and latitude and, and just kind of some, some freedom with the Word of God, that that's not going to cause a problem. But here's the thing. Over time, a little drift becomes a habit. We got a new van last summer. Somebody gave us a van, a Honda Odyssey. I love that van. And it came with a feature that I'm not that crazy about, but it's important. It's called the Lane Departure Warning. It's a little button that you can turn on or off, but when it's on, whenever you're driving along and you veer across the, the dotted line into a different lane, it sounds, it's there to say, hey, you're drifting. Now, I usually turn it off because I don't like being told how to drive. You know that by now, by about me, right? But when we're driving late at night back from Illinois, and I'm tired, and the family's asleep, and it's dark, and I'm fighting to stay awake. You've had those times, right? You're just kind of, oh, a deer. <laughs> that wasn't a deer. It was a piece of paper. And you just kind of, oh, I'm so tired. The road kind of goes double and triple. You're like, which one is it? Which, which lane do I go into? You know what I'm talking about, right? How many have done this before? Yeah, that's right. I know. I, I watch you guys drive. <laughs> but sometimes when I'm coming back late at night and I'm so worn out and I get to Highway 50 and I still got 10 minutes to go to my house, 15 minutes to go to my house, and I'm like, I can't do it. I, I can't. 
I can't make this happen. I'll turn that on because if I start to drift, it beeps. And it kind of wakes me up. Now, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are our spiritual lane departure warnings. But how often do we turn them off? How often do we ignore them when they bring conviction? And here's what happens. Soon we start to drift spiritually. And we're dulled to the impact of what's going on until it's too late. We either do damage because we run into something that harms us. Or we get so dull that we just don't care. So sanctification, holiness is our first need. Then second, we need God's security. And how many know that God never fails us in this area? You look back at verse 5, and God says, I'm going to give you a powerful promise. No one will be able to stand against you. Why? Because I will be with you, and I will not fail you or forsake you. How many times had God proven that in the wilderness? Getting them through the Red Sea, overwhelming their enemies, giving them bread and water and, and meat every single day, meeting with them, coming down into the tabernacle and filling it, leading them with the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, taking them step after step after step, showing them mercy when they sinned at Sinai again and again and again. When God could have said, I'm so sick of you people, I'm so Done. I'm writing you off. You've been nothing but heartache to me. I've had it. I can't do it anymore. God kept showing mercy, kept providing, kept moving them forward. Now, the 40 years was frustrating to him, too. He wanted to take them out of Egypt and get them right to the promised land and take them in. But for 40 years, they walked in circles, and God had to watch. You know, this promise that we see in verse 5, it's repeated for believers. When Jesus left for heaven and he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit back to you, he says in Matthew 28, I will always be with you. In Hebrews 13, he's quoted as saying exactly what we read here in verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. So this is a promise right here that you and I can believe and hold fast to as adopted children of God and as his disciples. And not only do we have his presence, but we have his power. He's already defeated our enemy. He's greater than our enemy. He's filled us with his spirit. He sent us out with strength and ability to reach people for Christ. And he has assured us, he's promised us, you will overcome. So even though there is going to be tremendous spiritual warfare against us, even though there is going to be cultural opposition, we have to, we must stand strong and go into the battle with with confidence because the Lord is with us. If we're sanctified, then God will be right there. And here's what God will do. Look at the last thought, verse 8, verse 9. We need to be strong and courageous. Notice in verse 5 that he promised them, no one will stand against you. Now, now Canaan was theirs by his word. 
He had held it for them for hundreds of years, and now he renews this promise, and he says, you're going to be strong to take new ground. And he says, not only is this a certain conquest, but he says, when you trust in me, it will be an easy conquest. I want us to really listen here because this is important for how God is going to work in our ministry. This concept of conquest, this concept of not only moving in and taking new ground and seeing souls saved, but, but the fact that it will be easy, that is for us. Because he says, when you're sanctified and I'm with you, I will fill you with strength. So as you go in and you see that ground that's fertile, that's ready for the taking, that, that there are people out there that are hungry for me. They're waiting to hear. They're waiting for somebody to love them and show them purpose and, and to give them encouragement and to show them that there's a point to their lives and it's because God loves them so much and wants to redeem them and change them and help them. As, as we go out and do that, God will provide. And if we say, well, Paul, it's not easy. Listen, I understand that evangelism isn't easy. Reaching out to people isn't easy. And yet, God says, these conquests are yours. And I will make it easy. And if we don't think it's easy, it's either because we haven't tried it or because we don't trust the Lord. People this morning are so confused. They are so desperate for an answer. They are so discouraged and beaten down and hungry for something that makes sense. And we have the truth that makes the most sense of anything. And if we hold on to it and say, well, good for us, we've got the word, we're saved, we're a wonderful little church, let's just worship, God's going to say, nope. There is new ground that you need to go in and occupy. And spiritual and emotional strength comes out of our confidence that God will work. Now look at it three times. I'm done. God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The third time he says, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Let's be very clear. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, I hope you guys will, will, will kind of feel some strength here. He says, this is a command. This is built out of confidence in me, and I will never let you down. You know me. You know how awesome my promises are. You know I have provided for you. Just look back at your life. See all the times I've been faithful, all the times I've helped you, all the times I've led you. Now, there should be no doubt, no doubt in your heart that you can trust me. So be careful how you walk. Be, be strong in me. Don't have any hesitation. Don't have any deviation. Don't go to the right or left. Be courageous because you fearlessly trust me and I will provide. So let's come back to a final question. What do you need to trust him for today? What do you need to trust him for today? In what ways do you need a reset? 
As you look at your life, where are you lacking in strength and in confidence? What is, what is stealing your faith? What is robbing you of courage, let alone hindering you from fulfilling God's calling on your life? Maybe, you've, maybe that, that lane departure thing, that, that's set with you. Oh, Paul, I get that. Okay, maybe that's where the problem is. You've departed from the correct lane. And you keep hearing that week after week. I'm going to say this is going to be painful. You keep hearing it week after week after week after week. And there's absolutely no change. So let me ask you, what is it going to take? What's it going to take for you to put off the old and be clothed with righteousness? Because the enemy's fighting you. He's, he's trying to get you to cling to, to the old and to get away from the Lord. And he's creating stubbornness and dissatisfaction and disaffectedness in you. And I want to tell you, if you will start resisting him, the Bible says he will flee from you. So stop weaving to the right and to the left and get on the right path. It is time for you to focus completely on living for the Lord. That's the best encouragement I can give you this morning. And if that's harsh, I'm sorry, that's God's word. Stop going back and forth. It is not getting you anything but heartache. Or maybe the issue, second, is that you're not confident in his faithful provision. Maybe for you, there's always kind of a nagging element of doubt that God will be there for you and God will help you and God will provide. You know the verses, you know the truth, you know it's real, but, but there's something about your heart that doesn't appropriate that. You just don't quite accept it. And instead of rebuking that attitude and saying, I'm not going to spend my time worrying that God's going to provide because I know he will, you, you, you need to spend time in his presence. I need to remember all that he has done for you. He's given you everything, listen, pertaining to life and godliness. And the only way to become more secure in him is to get the focus off of yourself and to pour over his word, and to call out on him with a renewed passion, and to get busy serving. We become so selfie-oriented, so introspective, so, well, I don't, I don't know, and this and this, and I got this problem. Listen, is God sufficient or not? I mean, let's just answer that question now. He's sufficient, right? Well, if he's sufficient, then what are we complaining about? What are we worried about? What are we fearful about? He either is or he isn't. Finally, maybe you're lacking in strength and courage this morning. And I want to relate this especially to ministry. You love the concept of taking new ground, reaching people for Christ, but, but you kind of look at that and go, I hope somebody else does that because I'm not ready. All right? When are we going to start maturing in our faith? When are we going to stop deviating and being worldly and having one foot in the world and one foot in the church and, and, and kind of living for the Lord but not really and kind of back? When, when is that going to stop? Because it is time, church, it is time, Paul Rhodes, to keep maturing, growing, stronger day after day, stronger in faith, stronger in prayer, stronger in worship, stronger in giving, stronger in desire, in love with the Lord more every single day. It is time, church, for us to do that, to 
be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and to now occupy the calling that God's given to us. We know Jesus Christ. We're adopted by God. We have His Spirit. All we should have is confidence. All we should have is confidence. So we need to pray, Lord, give us courage. Lord, give us boldness. As we saw Thursday night at prayer meeting, again, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it today, that like the early church, we need to say we need more of your spirit and we need you to overwhelm us and pour out over us. Holy Spirit of God, do that in our midst, we pray.